The time is now 8 p.m. on Sunday evening. Hello, folks. You're tuned in to CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca from anywhere in the world. It is now time for the Yellow Bridge Road, CFRC's British music show. I'm your host, Rue, here for another night. And today I've got for you a classic British music album. So we're going to go back in time. It's an album that's soon turning 20 years old. It is a behemoth, I think, of Zero's British music and it's an album that really its 20th anniversary has been at the back of my mind for the last couple of years and I've been meaning to do this show. This is basically one of my dream shows that you're going to be hearing and I had a friend in sitting in with me to help me out with this because both of us are fans of this album. So Vita and I, my good friend, will be taking you through this album track by track, almost annotated because we both really love this album. This is one of my favorite albums of all time so you know this is the big show for me. Um, and I'll uh, I'll put on that clip for you to hear. I'm not in live today. Um, but we'll just get some admin out of the way. Of course, you can get in touch with the show. Email me. Find the show on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it might be. The handles are Yellowbridge Road on Instagram, CFRC on Twitter. And you can email the show at yellowbridgeroad at gmail.com. I love hearing from all of you guys. And I really hope you enjoy this week's show because it is a dream show of mine. Without any further ado, here it comes. Hello folks, you are tuned in to CFRC 11.9 FM. You're tuned into the Yellow Bridge Road and today is a very special show. It's a pre-record, but we're recording it ahead of a special release date. And, you know, it's for a classic British album, almost a behemoth album. One of the big names, I would say, of Zero's uh, British music for sure and it's an album that's approaching 20 years its release date specifically was the 29th of September 2003 we are talking about the album Absolution by Muse it's approaching its 20 year mark now this week or so but we are recording ahead of time and I have a guest with me who you know shares my madness for Muse because I felt like if I tried to do this one just by myself, I would implode and then explode. And then whatever was left would then implode again. So we are going to try and temper each other's excitement in a sense. And we're going to tell you all about this wonderful album because we're just going to do an album listen today. So I will now just welcome on the show my good friend Vita. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back on again. Good to be back. So good to have you back. So Vita was on our show a few months ago now and I'd probably mentioned at that point that we both met because we were like we we both like muse we like similar music and so like she was the perfect person to come on and talk about muse with me today so we are talking about absolution an album whose sound can only really be described as absolution by muse I feel you know it it wanders between genres there are touches of different things this album, you know, it brings in Matt Bellamy's classical piano influences, you know, all the all the stuff that was beginning to peek through on the previous album, Origin of Symmetry. And it really, they had this really cohesive sound that, like I said, can only be described as Muse. The kind of banging pianos, the crashing pianos, I think is a better way of putting it. This very... Um, big sound that was definitely indicating that they were going to be filling stadiums 
It was Muse's last release on a small independent label, more more so just because their label imploded after shortly after they released it and then it got bought up by Warner Music and because of that all the bands that were on the label Taste Media ended up moving ended up being bought up by Warner as well so that was when Muse moved to a big label and you know with the kind of momentum from this album they would go on to put out in a few years time Black Holes and Revelations in 2006 that was you know Muse's kind of it, that was the the album when everything began to take off and happen for Muse. But before that, there was Absolution. And it really just showed that, you know, regardless of what label they were on or any of those concerns, Muse were going to hit the big time with their ambitions and their sounds. And so we're going to talk about this album today. I'm super excited. I think you really put it best into the words. Like, this was really such a big Muse sound. I mean, we get... Matt's piano. We get Chris's bass like we've never heard it before. Dom's drums like we've never heard it before. Every single emotion on this album is turned up to the max as much as possible. And you really go through all of it. Yeah. It's a beautiful album. I'm super excited. Let's jump in. Let's jump straight in. So some background on the album, apart from what we just told you, is that this album, 29th September 2003, it was initially only released sort of in the UK and Europe because Muse weren't on a label in the United States. So it would be a little while before other uh, like Americans were able to catch on and uh, like have access to this album so you know if you might be confused about why we're talking about this as a 2003 release when you might have seen it being a 2004 release that's why it only ended up being released in the U.S. in 2004 when they moved to Warner Media when they moved to Warner Music so you know we're going by the original release date here um so just a little bit about like the background of the album the themes of it and all that so this was the first Muse album that was recorded not entirely on the road because everything that they'd written up to this point was sort of constantly in motion on tour on the road and this was the first time that the band were actually able to get together in the studio air studios in London for the most part and you know they wrote this album they had these big ideas they worked with Rich Costi who really helped them uh, achieve that kind of big massive sound that really makes you think how is this music being made only by three people and you know they had uh, they brought on their ambitions of you know adding adding strings and things to their music and you know there is some orchestral stuff on this album further down there's a lot of piano stuff Matt's classical influences you know his his love for 20th century romantic composers like Sergei Rachmaninoff and Hector Berlioz and all those people started to and, and you know even other influences from like the early 20th century and before that started to come in on this album you know for a rock album it's quite unusual to see classical piano solos and breakdowns and stuff but Muse somehow managed to integrate that into their sound and make this really heavy sound and lyrically you say that it's it's a more personal album they call it an almost mundane album in terms of themes they said which it was, still surprises me which is so surprising because it's like matt says that it's about everyday things but then obviously with the way the emotions are just turned up you have to wonder what does a normal day for what does a crazy day for muse look like at this point if this is their normal so let's talk about the the very first song. So the first song, Apocalypse, please. 
I love, I mean, I love Apocalypse, Please. It's a good song to start out the album. It really puts us into the shoes of where they're starting out, where their head place is, kind of thinking like, oh, would someone come in and kind of like intervene, like see this through because of so much that's going on. I think the piano part in this is just insane. It's like starting off the album on such a strong note of Matt's piano, mm -hmm. incredible. And also the intro that leads into it, which, which has this really almost military marching beat style thing. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what would be like what they were expecting people to think when this was the very first thing that they hear on the album. So it's a very strong start. Um, thematically, it's like, it kind of, you know, talks about th this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where he, where Matt kind of pointed in the direction of like religious fanatics. And he was like, it's about sort of their wish to see their prophecies, their like doom Latin prophecies come true so that they can confirm their religion. But then, you know, with Muse, there are always these kind of personal themes that come in as well. And you know, everything just kind of gets drowned in the sound. So it takes on this other meaning. So that's It's funny that you say drowned in the sound too, because, you know, like with the military march, they did record the drum part in a pool for get, to get that like extra oomph in there. And I think it makes a difference. You know, they didn't do the cymbals, but they did get the drums in there with the water. And it really just gets that reverberation going so much in, throughout the song. So much throughout the song. So that's the very first song. And then that transitions into one of the big singles i think the biggest single of this album yeah. and one of muse's like best career singles in a sense if you want to talk about things like that 100 time is running out hit number eight on the charts so this was a top 10 single it was in the charts for weeks i mean the album itself was in the charts for i think we we said we looked at it before we recorded over 80 weeks over 80 yeah almost two years almost two years and it would kind of it started off the run of muse being in the charts when their album came out like this was the first of seven continuous number one albums the last of which was their most recent album will of the people from last year so it's yeah. like this was kind of muse just breaking out of that indie independent scene and like establishing themselves as one of the big names of 2000s rock music so time is running out. Well, let's talk about that song. It, it's a fantastic song. I'm going to say that about every single one because it is. But <laughs> really, I think it's interesting that you said like they're really breaking out of their shell and kind of establishing a name for themselves because time is running out almost as a little bit like that. Like you're you're kind of getting cornered and you're breaking out of that confinement. Um, time is running out. you got to kind of change how things are being done. And they're doing just that. Mm -hmm. Um we talked earlier before we recorded about the way Matt sings this. It's a hard song to sing, first of all. Very but difficult. the way the first line, I think I'm drowning, asphyxiated, he carries that sound throughout the entire song. He sounds like he's asphyxiated with every single line, with every gasp of breath. Yeah, they are very kind of gaspy and almost choked, these vocals. Yeah. So it's like he's really pouring himself into the character that he's singing through. And also, interestingly, he'd said that this song was inspired by Billie Jean, uh, by Michael Jackson. And you can yeah. kind of see that, like, the bass line has a similar kind of groove to it. And the vocals are again... It's such a good one. And even the, the vocals on that song are quite... Like, they, they gasp for air, but the way Matt chokes them... I think just yeah. adds a whole extra layer to it. It does. It gives it that extra layer that you you don't really get 
from a lot of songs like that. Mm-hmm. And thematically, he said that like the thing with a lot of Muse songs is that they can take on multiple meanings depending on mm-hmm. what you want them to be about. And so Matt kind of on purpose doesn't necessarily put in you know references that cemented in one particular situation. So he said that the song is about the emotions of a person during the last moments of that person's life, which is just an insane thing to say and then follow that up with saying it's a, an album about mundane everyday themes. But, you know, yeah. he also said that this can be applied to society, to a relationship, your religion or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's all of it. I mean, like, maybe it could be sort of him coming from his own personal place of, like, is my time running out? How am I feeling about this? What am I doing to kind of circumvent that, to push through that? And I think it's interesting that, that this song takes us into Sing for Absolution with that, like, thematic um, continuation. Mm-hmm. Sing for Absolution is uh, the next song on the album. And, like, uh, as you've probably guessed, it is the title track of the album, Again, like a super, like it's very spacey, spaced out. It's mm-hmm. kind of in its head. And I think Matt said it kind of ties into the whole theme of the album about what the song and what the album means to him. Where he'd said that it was sort of about, you know, the way he kind of looks at music in a similar way. He considers that to be his absolution. He said the song is, and kind of the album in general, is talking about wanting to change yourself, a little bit of guilt about the past. In the chorus, he says, I'm saying that for me, the act of making music is in itself an absolution, a way of finding meaning in life, if you like. Which is amazing. Which is absolutely incredible. So, you know, with all these big themes, let's listen to the first half of the album. We'll start off with the intro that goes into Apocalypse, Please, and then we'll be right back after a few songs. For Absolution by Muse, you're listening to The Yellow Bridge Road. We're doing an album lesson for Muse's third studio album, Absolution, because it is now round about 20 years since the album came out, which released uh, 29 September 2023. And my good friend Vita is here with me, just to remind you. And we are, we're, we're, we're going through the motions together. Sing for Absolution. What a song that we just heard. Seriously, those last two lines are my favorite of some of the Muse lyrics of just all time. Just hearing our wrongs remain unrectified and our souls won't be exhumed. I, every single time I hear them, just chills. Chills down my body. I know you guys just heard it, but it deserves that shout out. Some of the best Muse lyrics for real. It absolutely does. And they also have an acoustic version of this one that they did as a radio session. And it is just, it is equally beautiful, even with 
sort of the small spacey ethereal stuff stripped away so do go check that out but i think this is a good uh jumping off point to just take a second and talk about the album artwork and how that ties into the themes of the album so if you've never seen this album before what are you doing first of all secondly uh it's 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 one of those kind of storm ferguson artworks and now storm ferguson is someone who has done a lot of really classic artworks he's done um the led zeppelin album um was it house of the holy i can't remember which one it was but it's the one that has the yeah. the one that has a similar kind of thing with like these repetitive patterns of just like dolls or women just like on a hillside on on rocks kind of it seems he's done like artworks for pink floyd for led zeppelin for a whole you know very iconic artworks for a lot of uh different uh musicians pink floyd's dark side of the moon was another that he did and dom the the drummer in muse reached out to him to try and get him to do the artwork he i guess liked muse enough that he was happy to do it and uh the artwork is just this person looking up in you know with a really curious expression on their face almost you know confusion shock horror it's up to you to decide what that is and you can see these silhouettes of just what seems like bodies up in the sky in the clouds and you you see the shadows of them just on the ground i think it's cool they almost you don't know what they are they could be magical beings they could be people leaving earth they could be people coming to earth you have no idea the context of it it's up to you to kind of put that context to yourself how you interpret it which is also exactly what dom said about it he said that um like you said you're left to contextualize because the people who are looking up can see things with the context of knowing what they are and you can only see the shadow and kind of interpret things and the album itself feels a little like that because in in some ways it's sort of like you you know muse said matt said that this album is a lot more you know personal and mundane to him but to us it seems like these these huge themes these like very kind of almost intangible agnostic themes going on but you know with whatever context of his own life that that matt had they probably seem kind of mundane to him I think kind of ties nicely into the album. But we will continue. Um if you were to play the vinyl this would be the the sort of side 2 of the first disc. And uh we're flipping over and the first song we have on that side is Stockholm Syndrome which is just a really heavy, intense, beautiful song. Kind of song. kind of draws on Matt's interpretation of the whole Stockholm Syndrome like thing of like someone falls in love with their captor thing and he kind of looks at it and looks at it from sort of the captor's side of going you know you have this regret and all that stuff going on and you know the the whole like the way he puts it into lines like she had a name is just mm-hmm. so insane but the part where it's like the last time I'll forget you I wish yeah. I could oh. just yeah knocks it out of the park really yeah knocks it out of the park um it's a very heavy song even though it has these beautiful pianos at the end that just like tie every that it breaks it breaks everything down i think and you know it it's uh, inspired by uh system of a down it's really heavy stuff but i guess you know it's also such such a kind of it transcends genres in such a way that uh like prog rock bands like dream theater have said that this song has been an influence on their work which is insane to think about after that falling away with you oh so, gosh especially oh, from stockholm syndrome to falling away with you is one of the craziest transitions of all time And I mean that song rightfully so I mean it's never been played live 
but I think that if we ever heard it live, it would break our hearts into a million tiny little pieces and they'd break those pieces into more pieces. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those songs where the interpretation of it that you get is so personal and reflective that maybe trying to wrangle it into a into like an extroverted stadium setting would not necessarily yeah. work quite as well. Although Muse being Muse, I think they would find a way. Like this album was a time when they were also being recognized as one of the best live acts in the world. And, you know, mm-hmm. I happened to be on their website one day just like scrolling through some really old... It just happened to, oh my gosh. just happened to. And it was like all this stuff about them being nominated for best act, best British band, best band, best album, best live act, and also deserved. All well deserved. And even though this never made it live, just hearing it every single time never fails to just ruin me. Mm-hmm. I think the... What the band said was that it's about sort of like having these. So Dom said that a song like Falling Away is about lost memories and how memory sneaks off and you just forget certain things. But that can also be a good thing. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's a good thing to forget those moments because it helps you develop and change if you have to. Absolutely. After that, uh, so Muse have an interlude after that, which you might start to well see, needed, you know. Much needed. <laughs> you need a, you need like 20 seconds to just recover from those two songs, I feel. And that's what interlude lets you do. But I think between the intro and having an interlude, you you almost in a way have like a kind of a, a cinematic experience of this album. Like there's a narrative brewing and like it helps pace the albums. So like you can see that Muse's ambition was always to make something that's more than just a collection of ten songs or so. It's always more than a story. It's sort of telling. It's everything. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I mean, and then we jump into Hysteria, which is an insane song. I think. I mean, talk about basslines of all time. One of yeah, I feel like everyone who's an instrumentalist who I've spoken to has always like I've spoken to about Muse has always just come back to me saying, "Oh yeah, Hysteria, what an insane song we've played it or whatever." Mm-hmm. It has and every bass player can probably attribute hearing Hysteria and going, "Oh my god, I have to learn how to play this." It's a life-changing musical experience. Its sound is so unique though. Like it has this huge sound on the guitar, on the bass, whatever. Or just even in terms of production, it's so huge. It has this very unique sound. I've never heard a sound like the guitar on the studio version of Hysteria, not even live. And yeah. um, the producer of this album, Rich Costi, attributes that kind of to the fact that he thinks that Chris Wolstenholme, the bassist of Muse, is one of the most powerful bass players ever, like of any of the musicians he's worked with. And that really brings that big sound to the muse mix his skill his talent the way that he plays the bass is i mean that's something you just look up to yeah yeah no for sure you can see why there are so many bands that have a specific sound like that kind of royal blood like sound that all say that muse were a big inspiration to them but this bass line it's it's a bit older than the album because it was inspired like muse were just playing around with the bass line from a song on the previous album margin of symmetry two years ago which was called futurism and you know it started out on the guitar and they were sort of just playing around with it and then you arrive at this this stone cold classic seriously uh you had a fun fact about the song that we're probably going to leave our listeners to think about as they go into the songs that it's important to throw in i listen Mm -hmm. if you for one second think that muse 
is, you know, like you hear these songs and you think, wow, like what a serious, like important band. Never forget that Muse at their core are silly, silly, <laughs> fantastic musicians. And this song has been quoted, Hysteria has been quoted to be the slyest reference to a female orgasm in a rock song. So without further ado, let's go into the next three songs. This is Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Hysteria by Muse, a song that most of you have probably heard before. We are here live uh, in, well, not, we're pre-recording, but, you know, we are here at CFRC, Yellow Bridge Road. We are celebrating 20 years of Muse's album Absolution, which came out in September 2003. And Vita is here with me, my good friend. We are both big fans of Muse. And we are taking you track by track through the album to the best that we can in one and a half hours, because it just never feels enough with Muse. We just we list- do need more, though. We do. We so need more. We just had Stockholm Syndrome falling away with you and Hysteria. And uh, now we're moving on to sort of the second half of the album. Next song is Blackout, which is this kind of string-led song, very different from Muse, hardly something that you can call rock music. And, you mm-hmm. know, a song that Matt Bellamy had said was almost influenced by Frank Sinatra. He said that more this... More waltz, yeah. if anything, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Very classical as well, recorded with an orchestra and everything. And he said that uh, the song thematically, he said, is about trying to imagine what goes through someone's mind during the last few minutes of your life. Trying to conjure up some uplifting thoughts about enjoying your life to the fullest in the time that you had. And moving, like, I don't know how you transition from that song into a song as seemingly consequential as Butterflies and Hurricanes. Which is, I mean, it's, First of all, I mean, I have my own personal connection to this song. It really got me through the end of college. And it really has that kind of way to just get you through a quote from Matt. He said that the song just has that raw energy that keeps you going through the jadedness instead of just resigning. Like you can, it's so easy to just kind of like set it all down, kind of accept it. But no, you just have to kind of grit your teeth and push through Mm -hmm. no matter what. I live, like, live through that song, just live for that song and buy its words wow. all of the time, which I think is yep. a fair thing to do. Um, it's, uh, again, a one that has quite a few strings. The bass on this song is insane. I feel like the artwork of, like, a ground with these, like, clouded butterflies in the sky, it really matches the image that the song paints musically. And it has the most beautiful piano breakdown in the middle that's very inspired by 20th century romantic era musicians like uh, Sergei Rachmaninoff and Frédéric Chopin. And I think um, Matt also specifically went for that method, firstly because that's the sound that he really likes, but also because those themes, he kind of drew on the kind of lyrical themes. Uh, Well, not lyrical, but like the ideas that romantic composers were trying to convey and he drew those into this particular song. And then after, well, I mean, I could talk about that song forever, but I would really oh, try yeah. not. And then we have the small yeah. print, another left turn from there. Yeah, absolutely left turn, but still, what a banger of a song. I love this song because of just the connections that it paints. So Matt has kind of talked about how the small print, you're kind of viewing it from the point of view of the devil in the play Faust. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but you know. 
Um, but the line where the devil will say, I'll compensate your greed with broken hearts, like you're making that kind of like flawed contract, which kind of ties into the whole small print of the contract. You really have to read all the like fine letters of it, because what are you really selling your soul to? And when we see the line, I'm the priest, God never paid. I mean, it's, it's that obvious. There's certainly a bit of regret in that song as well. Like, what about me? I just get painted as the bad guy and all of this stuff. But yep. what about me? I'm just here forever. Which again, just kind of ties into how existential some of these songs and this whole album, in a sense, can be. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go listen to those three songs. This is Blackout by Muse. You're listening to CFRC. Small print by Muse, you are listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, Yellow Bridge Road. We are talking about a classic British album of the Zeros, an album that turns 20 this month, September. It is Absolution by Muse. Uh, we've just been listening to the whole album today. You know, we just heard sort of the, we're coming towards the end of the, al- end of the album. We just heard the small print last. We also heard Blackout and Butterflies and Hurricanes which, you know, Matt said was a song about just finding hope and fighting things to make the best out of whatever situation you're in. And then moving on, we've got the song Endlessly, which is musically a bit different from Muse. It's a bit more kind of dubbed, kind of subtle, drowned in like synths. Yes. And thematically, it's very simple. It's simple, it's beautiful, it's it's so tender, it's a very sweet song. It's such a contrast to the small print that we just heard. But even just the line, hopelessly, I'll love you endlessly, you just, you don't, you don't need to say more than that. It speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. I think this was like maybe the original idea that Muse wanted to go for because Matt had said while they were writing the album that the songs on this album were going to be more uplifting because he yeah. said he was in love. He said they're going to be some songs that are straightforward rock. And then some yeah. of my new favorites are songs like ABBA. Well, that kind of, unless Matt has some way of bringing the ABBA out of a song like Blackout, I don't know if that ended up happening really. But, you know, we're going on to more intense songs after that. The next song, After Endlessly, will be Thoughts of a Dying Atheist. What a title. What a song it is. I mean, even just the title itself, like you really just have to consider it because, you know, if you are atheist, what is what is, what is waiting for you after death? And that's kind of like that that mm-hmm. fear that of the unknown, basically. And the one line I like from it is floating in between where our worlds collide, which I think ties so well with the album cover because you, as the viewer, you're standing on Earth, you're standing on the planet that you reside on, you're looking up at all these figures either descending or leaving, and you are truly in between worlds, between yours, between what is coming. It's It's incredible. It is. And I think it also kind of ties into the whole, like, it gives you this other angle to look at where it's like, there's a world outside of the album absolution, and there's a world inside of it. And if you are the guy who's inside the album staring back out with this perplexed look on your face, you know that there's no way you're going to see the world in the same way. Once you've heard a song like Butterflies and Hurricanes, once you've heard a song like, oh, I don't even know, Falling Away With You. But anyway, so yes, it's, it's just... It's an intense song. Matt said There's it, a before it's, and after this album. There is a before absolution and an after absolution. And for sure, for Muse's own career, that was definitely the case. But Matt said that the song was, like you said, just about like 
trying to maintain your belief in atheism while also kind of being at the end of your life and kind of realizing that this is it. There is nothing after this if you are an atheist, in a sense. Uh, so from those very wonderfully light themes, we move on to the <laughs> equally light, light theme of Ruled by Secrecy. Rule, I mean, first of all, the piano part in Ruled by Secrecy oh, it's is haunting. Just, yeah, it's haunting. It stays with you. Mm-hmm. It's it's an album finisher technically of such ma- of a magnitude proportions. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a very sly way to end an album because you know whoever listens to that last as those last notes die away is just going to be sitting there with their jaw hanging and thinking about this album for the next twenty hours. And that's hopefully how we will leave you. Yeah, just to give some context of themes though. Uh, I mean, I know Matt Ptolemy said that this album was about, like, mundane, day-to-day themes. Uh, But we'll see how mundane you think this is. He said the song's kind of about some geezer who just comes home from work and kind of has shot everybody and blown everyone up at work. And he comes back to his wife with a load of blood on his hands just going, I've blown it, I've lost it, I've lost the plot. And the reason to that is because everything he's doing, he feels is out of his control. So It's just about, you know, realizing that your whole life is kind of out of your control. And it was, this song was a reference to Rule by Secrecy, the book, right? Mm-hmm. Which was like this crazy, crazy book on conspiracy theories by a guy. And like, Matt Bellamy kind of left that world behind later on. But, you know, we, you know, we, if we have time, we might throw in the last song on the album, Fury, which was like, it was a bonus track. It's not on the original album. It's not on my copy of the album. But, you know, if you don't hear it, and if you don't hear from us, this is going to be the last thing that we say to you. Go listen to the the song yourself on your own time. It was uh, Fury was one song that Muse weren't sure whether to include or not. There was a kind of a debate and discussion amongst the band about whether they should yes. have uh, uh, the small print or Fury on the album. And ultimately, Matt wanted Fury. The rest of the band kind of voted him out and said it's got Two to be the small vote. print. Two thirds. So yeah, Muse are a democracy. At least we know that. <laughs> So we're going to leave you with those last three songs. Thank you so much for putting up with us. We are now going to just sit and wrap ourselves in bandages and think about this album again. And yes, maybe yes, maybe you will do the same. Hopefully. And thank you again for having me on. We had a fantastic time. We had so much fun. Coming out covered in blood, we had so much fun. Yes. <laughs> so this is goodbye from us. Keep listening to CFRC. Keep listening to Yellow Bridge Road. This is Endlessly by Muse. See you all next week. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.